Hello everyone, my guest today is Brad Hurd. He's the founder and CEO of DataWorld and author of the Entrepreneur's Essentials book. DataWorld is a public benefit corporation and certified B corporation focused on building the modern catalog for data analysis, as well as the world's largest collaborative public data catalog. Brad is also the co-owner of the Hurd Family Investments alongside his wife, Debra, and they have invested together in over 80 startups. Brad founded and led Baser Voice, a C and as a CEO from 2005 to 2012 through its successful IPO and um, follow-on offering and two acquisitions. Prior to Baser Voice, Brett founded and led CoreMetrics, which was rated the number one web analytics solution by Forrested researchers. CoreMetrics was acquired by IBM in 2010 for around $300 million. So Brett, you've had a very successful career already as an entrepreneur and investor, so it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you. It's great to be on the show. It's great to have you, man. So you're calling in from Texas uh, right now. Um, tell us and, and give us a little bit more background about who you are and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so I've been uh, very fortunate, you know, very lucky in life. I grew up here in Austin, Texas, which was starting to be a tech capital even when I was a kid. I didn't realize it at the time, but I got my first computer when I was seven years old. My mom sat down with me and learned how to program. And she uh, then would drive me to user group meetings when I was age 10. And I would learn from much more experienced older programmers. I started my first bulletin board system at age 10. And that was the original electronic communications. And then that led to me eventually starting my own internet game when I was 18. That game became the foundation for World of Warcraft, although I never made any money on it. Um, that wasn't the, the goal. The goal was just the passion of programming and doing something great with people. And, and then I finally got a commercial interest when um, it was clear that I needed to move out of the house. And <laughs> my mom was like, hey, it's time to take care of yourself. And that's when, um, that's when I uh, went to um, work for Deloitte Consulting for a while after I had worked for Anderson Consulting, now called Accenture. And I really learned at De Deloitte Consulting and Accenture how to sell the programming work that I was able to deliver to customers and then how to deliver on that in large-scale projects. That led to me starting my first business when I was at the Warden School, earning my MBA. Deloitte had this program where they would pay for you to go to a top MBA school if you could get in. I was fortunate to get into the Warden School. It was rated the number one MBA program at that time for six years in a row. And at Warden, um, my very first business was a consulting business called Hurt Technology Consulting. I started it right after my first semester. And that business eventually employed a lot of Warden undergrads and was very cash flow positive. It was a bootstrap company. I launched two other bootstrap companies um, that were also successful. One was a virtual community for MBA students called the MBA Zone. One was an e-commerce site that I launched with my wife selling sports nutrition products, things like power bars and the like. That all led to the idea behind core metrics, where we would analyze what's happening on e-commerce sites and really help retailers become much more effective online. We won Walmart and several other customers, had Excel partners lead our Series A 
Um, that was my first VC-backed company. As you mentioned, fortunately, that had a $300 million exit. What you didn't mention is that it went through a lot of turmoil in the dot-com crash, almost went out of business, but fortunately uh, pulled through on the other side because Arthur Patterson, the co-founder of Excel, believed in me and made a real statement in the dot-com bust and led a $40 million round for us. And that, um, that became you know, my first major hit and then um, that led to Bizarre Voice, which was perfect market timing. There were only three retailers in the entire United States who had customer reviews at the time. We became the leading solution worldwide to provide customer reviews as a platform on Walmart, the Home Depot, Expedia, OpenTable. We eventually launched around the world in 40 international languages had a very successful IPO that was valued at over a billion dollars. Um, all of that happened in six years. So it was a real dream come true for an entrepreneur. And the timing, as I mentioned, was just perfect. I mean, Facebook was close to the public when Brant Barton, my co-founder and I launched that. Twitter didn't even exist. Snapchat didn't exist. The iPhone was gonna come out in two years. We launched Bizarre Voice in 2005. And so we just had really perfect, lucky timing. And all of that culminated into my wife and I having our own investment firm. We invest as a family office. We're in now 85 startups and 27 VC funds. Wow. And most of the companies that we're in directly are based here in Austin. I think we're in 55 companies now here in Austin out of the 85. And I eventually decided to go back into the arena with data.world. That's actually how you pronounce it, by the way. It's data.world. Data.world, got it. This uh, company has grown as fast as GitHub did in its early years. It's now the world's oh, largest. Scott, Scott now lives here in Berlin. What's that? Scott now, Scott Chacon, the oh, co-founder of cool. GitHub. Yeah, you, you know him? I don't, I don't, but that's, okay, that's, okay. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's right. really cool. Actually, Jono Bacon, who was their head of community, serves on our advisory board. Ah, very um, cool. But it's, it's, it's grown as fast as GitHub on the free kind of open data side, the public data, you know, like all of data.gov's on data.world, all of data.gov.uk, um, government of Mozambique just signed up. There, there's, there's government data, foundation data, nonprofit data, um, all types of data from universities, all types of data from the media that's all available for free. And our users are constantly uploading free data. There's more data sets on data.world than any place else in the world. And then we use that to go into our private offering, which a lot of Fortune 500 customers use now, to create kind of their own private data world, if you if you like. Um, and the space that we're in is called Enterprise Data Catalogs. And it really allows them to democratize access to their internal data throughout their company while keeping it private just to people inside the company. And it's all built on a knowledge graph. So that, that's the same thing that Google and Facebook are built on. And it makes it very easy to connect data sets no matter what format they come in. You can literally do a federated query between Salesforce data, an Excel spreadsheet, data in Snowflake, and your big Hadoop um, data lake. And okay. that's kind of an unprecedented level of power. And we already have 15 patents 
um, issued in the company. And it's the hardest technical build of my career, but just really an exciting business and going extremely well. It's a much more ambitious business than yeah. desirable for metrics before. That's that's very cool. That's very interesting. So um, just to, to give the, the listeners some more context, so what's this, what does the company exactly do and how do you make money? Yeah, so there's two sides to the business. So first of all, we're a B corporation. We're very proud of that. Like Ben & Jerry's, Patagonia, there's quite a few B corporations, but we're pretty rare in tech that we're a B corporation. Lemonade is actually just filed to go public as a- The intertech company? Uh-huh, very tech-enabled insurance company. And so they're yeah. going public. They're a B corporation. They're a great beacon for the movement. Um, but uh, we have two sides of the business. One side of the business is allows the world to collaborate and share public data sets, as I mentioned, open data sets. All of that is available for free. We don't make any money on that side of the business. Although two-thirds of the Fortune 500 use that open community to find all types of public data sets that they use inside of their business. Um, so it's, it's a great lead gen mechanism for the paid side of our business. The paid side of our business, as I mentioned, is an enterprise data catalog. It's all delivered cloud natively as a software as a service solution. We're actually natively integrated into Snowflake. And that allows us to um, really make data sets inside of companies very connected to each other and allows people to get much smarter about their internal knowledge. I mean, a lot of people get wrapped around the axle when it comes to the term data. They think, oh, that's something for IT. <laughs> the reality yeah. is data is your knowledge about your customers. It's your knowledge about your suppliers. It's your knowledge about your employees. It's your knowledge about you know, all of your channels. It's, it's essentially the most important um, you know, aspect of your business to build a brain around how to be operationally efficient, how to identify different opportunities. And data has become much more important in this time of COVID-19. I mean, think about what's happened in the world. The governments worldwide have passed multi-trillion dollar bailout plans based on very limited understanding of this pandemic. And mm -hmm. They didn't have a lot of data. I mean, we still don't really know what the infection rate is. We're woefully behind in terms of testing here in the U.S. You know, our president likes to shout that we're number one in testing, but the reality is we're number 12 on a per capita basis. Um, and we've got a long way to go. And, you know, many other countries are even farther behind than we are. And so we've created these uh, massive policies during a time of very limited understanding Meanwhile, businesses have been forced to shut down and shelter in place. Um, you know, we've had a fine time sheltering in place because we're a digital age company. You know, physical office space is a luxury for us. We don't actually have to have it. We can operate just fine yeah. using Slack, data.world, and all the Google tools. And we are obsessive users of Google Meet and Zoom. And we've done that since the beginning of our company. So this hasn't been a horribly yeah, yeah. difficult adjustment for us. Um, you know, thank goodness we're not a restaurant or an entertainment company or some other company that requires, you know, hospitality that requires physicality. Um, but, you know, the facts on the ground for Fortune 500 companies have been changing faster during this time of COVID-19 
than they did since the Great Recession. And so they now find themselves sheltered in place with the data, their knowledge about their business changing faster than ever before. And now their people are siloed. And our solution takes literally a few days to get up and running. And we're competing against primarily enterprise software-based competitors that take multi-quarters to get up and running. And we're, you know, we're essential for those companies. And what's yeah. happened is that their usage has gone literally exponential during this time of COVID-19. We've seen our customers, like we work with one of the largest strategic consulting firms in the world. Their usage has gone exponential during this time because they're trying to help their Fortune 500 customers and their Global 2000 customers really navigate this environment in a time where their data, their knowledge about their business is changing faster than ever before. So it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty neat that data.world has done so well in this environment. We beat our fiscal year and then we just beat our Q1 based on our pre-COVID-19 plan. Our Q1 closed on April 30th. Um, but obviously I don't wish to see what's happening in the world when it comes to the pandemic. Um, so it's 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 been a very interesting time for our company and and for the world yeah. right now. So just to get some context here, what does a, a customer on average pay for the service that you guys provide? Well, we actually have completely transparent enterprise pricing on our site. If you go to blog, oh, okay. if you go to blog.data.world, you'll see a post from my co-founder and our chief product officer John Moynes. Um, about our transparent enterprise pricing. And we're the only ones in the entire industry that do completely transparent enterprise pricing. Like we spell out everything, <laughs> you know, That's in public. Interesting. Yeah. And most people don't do that. They have very opaque, you know, uh, kind of proprietary pricing models that customers can't really see what's happening inside of. And as a B Corporation, we've gone the completely opposite way. We're all about transparency. Yeah. Okay, very cool. Um, so, Brett, what do you think is, is your core skill that has helped you to get where you are today? Well, I, I was born at the right place at the right time. I mean, Austin had the original supercomputers, the craze, because of the wealth that UT Austin had from oil money, you know, out of all things. And that attracted a lot of tech talent, and that made this the type of city that would be a good one to grow up in when I was born in 1972 for my passion. You know, I started programming in 1979 and I found myself completely infatuated by technology. I programmed over 40 hours a week from age seven to 21. That meant that I primarily sat behind a computer and a lot of people thought that I was gonna be a loser in life, including some of my teachers. They didn't see me, you know, doing the things other kids we're doing and all I was talking about is computers, but ultimately that turned out to be the way the world evolved. I didn't do it because of money. I just did it because I was infatuated with how the world was changing. And I thought that, that, um, you know, programming and, and, you know, developing new systems would become important. I didn't realize how important it would become. And fortunately I, you know, I hit the jackpot in all ways. I mean, you know, I was also born, you know, white in a middle-class family, which, you know, now we're, we're facing these protests and some of those 
um, in some cases are turned into riots and looting, although the Venn diagram between the protesters and the looters and rioters, I think, is very thin. I think that there's a lot of rebel rousers that really don't care about the cause at all. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, privilege now um, and racism um, kind of coming out in its light. So, I, you know, I was born at, in the right place at the right time with the right passion. And I can honestly tell you that my passion has been very authentic. I've always loved what I've done. And I've had a lot of people believe in me along the way, starting with my mom. My blog is called lucky7.io. And it's actually named as a tribute to my mom who passed away eight years ago from lung cancer. She never smoked, unfortunately. We caught it too late. And 10% of women that get lung cancer have never smoked before. And she really believed in me from a young age. And I paid that forward with our kids and by mentoring a lot of young people. And part of the reason I invest in entrepreneurs is because I love to help and mentor those that are younger than me. Sometimes they're the same age, but most of them are younger than me. Yeah, and, that's very cool. Yeah, and it's, it's, it gives you a great kind of helper's high. As my CEO coach says, I, my CEO coach is Kurt Dando. He's got a great podcast, by the way, called the For You Leaders podcast, which is fantastic. For You Leaders. And, Let me write that down. And um, yeah, Kirk Dando always tells me about the helper's high he gets from helping CEOs like me. I've been working with him for 13 years. And I get that same helper's high when I pay it forward and help other entrepreneurs. And that's also turned out to be a very profitable endeavor. That's not why I did it originally. I, it's not like I wanted to lose money doing it or throw money away, but it's turned out to be a phenomenal investment of my time too. I mean, I've, our fund, you know, again, it's just our money that we're investing, but our fund, if it was a fund, would be one of the top performing funds in the world. As, and I wrote a chapter in my book, chapter 22 of the Entrepreneur's Essentials, really outlines exactly how we angel invest. And I wrote that chapter to say, if more people followed this advice and did it this way, they would actually make money. A lot of people, when they angel invest, do it wrong. They invest in a couple of companies. They go in yeah. with too much capital, and then they conclude they're bad at it when the companies fail. And that's like investing in two stocks, two or three stocks in the public market and concluding you're not a good stock investor. Well, it's all about diversification. <laughs> you, know, you, you have to, you know, look at the universal laws of investing. Um, yeah. They've been around since Benjamin Graham. And these are all um, outlined in my book. That's very cool. And okay, but for free, right? I mean, you just get it on me. Oh yeah, let's let's uh, link that down below. You can send the link afterwards, and my team can put it in the in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, it's on medium.com. If you just follow me at Data Brett, you'll find it there. Very and, cool. And uh, the reason I gave it away for free, by the way, is interesting. Like one of the books that really impacted me quite a while back was the Bootstrappers Bible by Seth Godin. It was Seth Godin's first book. He gave it away for free. Um, also, cool. the book, The Clue Train Manifesto, really impacted me and Brant Barton, my co-founder for Bizarre Voice. Actually, Bizarre Voice is named after chapter four of the Clue Train Manifesto, which that chapter is called Markets or Conversations. Bizarre is, of course, the original marketplace. is voice, voice of the marketplace. And that uh, book they gave away for free. So when I wrote a book, I thought, well, 
I'm going to do the same thing and pay it forward and just give it away for free to any entrepreneur that wants to plug in. And frankly, as a book in an online medium, I think it it's better that way because it's links to the videos and everything else that are available. Um, yeah, that's a very cool initiative. That. Thanks. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, let's wrap up here with the fantastic Fallbright. Question number one, is there a CEO that you're following or studying right now? I follow quite a few. I, I really think Tim Give Cook. Give us your top three. I think Tim Cook is really doing it right in so many ways. I also follow Jeff Bezos. Um, there's a really interesting article about how he's handling racism recently. Uh, on Instagram. I thought he did a really good job there. And um, I'm really hoping that um, Biden becomes our next president. So I'm really following him a lot right now. And I think that you know he's been a very long time leader here in the United States. He's paid, you know, decades of public service. He lost both his wife and um, child, one of his children in an automobile accident right after he was elected to public office and then he lost his son to brain cancer. And this is a guy who's a real fighter and really cares and, and um, we have to defeat Donald Trump. Um, we have to get, get on the other side of this and restore decency in the United States. Yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks for mentioning that. Um, next question, do you have any routines that you strictly follow on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, I work out. Um, six days a week. I actually am up to a 14 minute plank each day. 14. And How long have you been training this? So to get to 14 minutes, it's taken me a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And I've actually written post on it on medium about how to do it. it. Essentially, you you do it every day. Well, you do it six days a week, you take one day off. And you do it at a consistent time. And then you add 15 seconds every week. And eventually that adds up to 14 minutes like I'm doing now. Oh, and it'll shit. really transform the way that you feel in terms of your core strength and your core strength is used for everything. And it's really important to have strong core strength because we do a lot of sitting in yep. our jobs. You'll really feel it like when you're skiing um, or just walking, you'll have much less lower back pain if, if, if not any back pain. And um, I also, um, eat primarily a, a vegan diet, um, which is both for the planet as well as for the welfare of, of our fellow beings on earth. You know, I do believe human beings are the highest, highest form of life on earth, but I believe we have a responsibility to treat other animals with kindness and there's no reason to eat them for our sustenance and you can build as much muscle as you want. If you don't believe me, like, You'll look up vegan bodybuilders and things like that. Um, you'll yeah. be shocked. And there's a great documentary out now called The Game Changers, which yep. is really good one on this front. Um, and then I, I spend, you know, a lot of time working and time with my kids as well. I probably work on Data.World about 80 hours a week right now. Um, 80. But I Yeah, 80. Mm -hmm. But I spend. How do you have time to spend time with your kids? <laughs> you work 80 well, hours only on that company. It's it's interspersed, and you know my kids are 10 and 15, so they're much more independent now. Um, my son is just like I was as a kid, so he's he does a lot of work on the computer almost all day long. And interesting. Um, we don't have any screen time rules here, 
And my daughter <laughs> is um, very extroverted and loves to play tennis, does a lot of that, loves to spend time with her friends. She, she wrote her first book when she was 13. People can buy that at guardiansoftheforestbook.com. We will link that also down below. It's an amazing book. Um, and she's, you know, so, so I do spend a lot of time with them on the weekends and time with them in the evenings, but then I've, I'll get back on and work again until around 1130 or so. I love what I do. I mean, I, I truly feel blessed. Our company data.world has been rated one of the top places to work in Austin for the last five years in a row. Amazing. It's uh, taking off really exceptionally and, and it's become, as I mentioned, even more important during COVID-19. So this is a time really to lean in very hard and focus. Um, and we're also, you know, doing a lot of good on this issue around racism and really trying to right the ship there and serve as a beacon for other Austin companies and become a part of systemic change as opposed to short-term, you know, donations, which we've done short-term donations, but short-term donations where people think, okay, I've done my donation. Now I'm kind of moving on. We can't move on this time. We've really got to, got to be committed to systemic change. Awesome. Yeah, no, totally agree on that. Okay. Two more questions, Brad. Question number one, uh, or third question, what's your favorite social media platform for business and what do you use it for? Well, for business, um, it, you know, LinkedIn really is the best. I mean, because mm -hmm. people go to LinkedIn for business reasons. So I use it primarily to publish articles that I think people find interesting around data. Um, but I also, you know, consume articles on there and I use it constantly when we're prospecting for customers. I use it to communicate with a lot of our customers. Um, but I'm very active on Facebook and, and Twitter as well. Okay, very cool. Last question, what do you wish you knew when you were 20 years old? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I guess that I wish that I knew when I was 20 that my persistence in terms of my passionate focus on computers was going to eventually pay off because I would have believed in myself more. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. obvious when I was 20 that this was going to be the future. Um, but ultimately, I never strayed and I always kept with it. Um, and I'm very happy with, with where I ended up. I just would have had less mental kind of struggle with, uh, with the forces, you know, some forces telling me I was wasting my life, <laughs> including at family dinners. You know, I'd be at family dinners and the extended family you would hear them talking and saying things like, you know, to my mom, your son doesn't know anything but computers. Like, how is he going <laughs> to be successful in life? And, and, you know, that, that would grate on me a little bit, but, but I would just think, well, they don't really know. They don't really understand. And that did give me a bit of a chip on my shoulder in a good way. It's not like I'm trying to prove them wrong or anything, but it, it did give me a lot of yeah. drive. And one of the things that my original mentor at CoreMetrics, this, this gentleman named Bong Suh, S-U-H, told me is he said, every successful entrepreneur has some demon that they're running away from. And I guess that's my, I guess that's my demon is the, the demon of, you know, people not believing in me 
when I was young, of course, my mom very much believed in me. And if it wasn't for her, I would not be here talking with you today. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for your insights, Brad. Yeah, you bet.